Hello and welcome to Clinical Realities, a podcast mini-series from The Lancet Rheumatology. In this series, we explore the realities of rheumatology care and research in challenging settings, specifically among underserved and neglected patient populations across the globe. My name is Titilola Falasinu. I'm a rheumatology researcher at the Stanford School of Medicine in the Department of Anesthesiology, Perioperative and Pain Medicine. In our fourth episode of Clinical Realities, we explore the role of climate change on the health of patients with rheumatic diseases. Global climate change is increasing the frequency and severity of extreme weather incidents. Here in the United States, it seems that on a weekly basis, we hear about and or experience extreme weather incidents, such as heat waves, wildfires, droughts, and the outbreaks of vector-borne illnesses. These incidents impact our well-being in profound ways. Globally, it is estimated that about one in four people is living with the rheumatic condition. The evidence-based linking climate change to specific health outcomes is substantial and growing rapidly, in particular, cardiovascular and respiratory diseases. However, relatively little is known about the potential for climate-relevant hazards to impact rheumatic diseases. So understanding the role of adverse weather events in shaping the health of populations um, with rheumatic diseases may help identify modifiable risk factors and potential ideological mechanisms. Today, I will be discussing these issues with Dr. Thomas Bush. Dr. Thomas Bush um, practiced clinical rheumatology for 35 years at Santa Clara Valley Medical Center, the second largest county-owned health and hospital system in California. It has nearly 1 million outpatient visits and 275,000 unique unique patients per year. He was the chief of rheumatology for 25 years at Santa Clara Valley Medical Center. He recently published a review for the Journal of Climate Change and Health titled Potential Adverse Health Consequences of Climate Change Related to Rheumatic Diseases. Welcome and thank you for joining me um, to talk about this important topic. Well, thank you, Lolo, for inviting me to have this conversation with you. Um, I think it's 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 very important to start a discussion amongst rheumatologists about climate change and how that might impact their patients and their practices. So uh, let's start by setting the stage. I think your background is quite compelling, and I would like the audience to know more about you to provide a bit of context to our chat. I remember you gave a Grand Rounds presentation about this work in December 2021. You mentioned then that it was part two of a presentation you gave sometime in the 1990s. That backstory was sort of intriguing, and I wonder if you wouldn't mind sharing it with our audience. Sure. I, you know, I practiced uh, clinical rheumatology for many years at Valley Medical Center. It's, it's a teaching hospital associated with Stanford. But prior to my rheumatology career, um, I was an environmental studies major back at UC Santa Barbara in the 1970s. So I took midterms and finals on climate change and other topics. Uh, and I put that aside, you know, as I began my medical career. But by the 1990s, I was established in practicing medicine. So um, I was interested in, in rejoining, looking at environmental issues. So I joined the, there was an environmental health committee of our, of the Santa Clara County Medical Association. So I joined their environmental health committee got more involved in environmental issues and got inspired and, and uh, put together a grand rounds for our Department of Medicine in 1993 on climate change. Um, at that point, I didn't call it part one because I didn't know there would be a sequel 
to it, the sequel. But now, you know, almost 30 years later, I went back to Valley Medical Center, uh, where I recently retired from clinical medicine, and uh, gave part two of climate change. Okay. Thank you for that background. So what is the state of the empirical evidence regarding the health implications of climate change for the general population? So, for example, what are the direct and indirect health complications or health implications of um, climate-relevant hazards? Yeah, I think there's the health implications of climate change vary, you know, depending on what country you're in, what what continent you're on and so forth. In in North America, I think there's three major consequences to climate change in regards to health. Um, and that's ex- extreme storms, heat waves and, and wildfires and the wildfire smoke. There's a fair amount of literature on it for the health of the general population. So for extreme storms, hurricanes and floods, you know, we've been having a lot more of them in in recent years. And, and clearly the hurricanes are, are more frequent and, and stronger than they used to be, probably because of warming of the oceans and weakening of the jet stream. Also, flooding is worse in the east and the Midwest. Um, as far as the health impacts of this, it's really sort of fairly obvious. Um, injuries from the major storms, displacements, drownings, and then loss of access to medical care, loss of access to pharmacies, um, and there are uh, papers on this. As far as heat waves, it's really all over the country, and of course we've been having more heat waves in here and, and also in Canada in recent years, um, probably largely related to the weakening of the jet stream and the, and the jet stream not carrying these storms from, from west to east, sweeping as they should. They stall out and, and then linger over one area with excess heat or for you know, a period of a week or so. And with heat waves that have been well studied in the general population, excess deaths and admissions, particularly in the elderly, and then as we'll discuss in a moment with in regards to rheumatic diseases, uh, also in people with comorbidities with cardiac disease and pulmonary disease have a higher mortality rate in heat waves. And there's an excess number of admissions in people with renal disease. And finally, of those three with the wildfires, obviously if you're in the middle of a wildfire, there's a lot of health risks, but but affecting more people is the wildfire smoke. The plume can extend for hundreds, if not thousands of miles. And with the, with the wildfire smoke, you have increased particulate matter. In, in most of the studies, they deal with particulate matter less than 2.5 microns in size, because that's where the health risk comes from. They call that PM 2.5. And with PM 2.5, it's clear that people with respiratory diseases have increased mortality. And this is just with ambient increases with usual air pollution. Uh, as the 2. PM 2.5 levels increase, you have increased mortality with asthma, COPD, respiratory diseases. Most of the studies aren't specific to PM 2.5 related to um, plumes from wildfires. But of interest, there are two studies that I was able to find recently. One from UCSF, they did a dermatology study, and atopic dermatitis is apparently worsened during when the PM 2.5 levels are up, when the particulate matter is up. And they found in 2018 that they had increased numbers of uh, clinic visits for atopic dermatitis related to a spike in PM 2.5 levels from the campfire, which was about 200 miles away. And then this last year, there was a a large study over the whole Western United States where they looked at uh, COVID-19 cases and deaths, and they were able to correlate higher levels of cases and deaths related to PM 2.5 spikes that were related to wildfires in the area. So so they, for the general population, there is some evidence that wildfire, spoke, wildfire smoke per se can cause trouble. 
So in other words, the empirical evidence is quite clear. Climate hazards, especially heat and air pollution, adversely impact a wide range of um, health outcomes. So what do you think are the potential health implications of these climate hazards for patients with um, rheumatic diseases? Well, that's a a trickier question, and that ends up why I wrote the paper that I wrote. Um, I um, I recently joined another health committee that, with the PSR, the Physicians for Social Responsibility in the Bay Area, about two years ago when I retired, wanted to get back into climate issues. And some of the members of the committee um, are uh, very involved in, in um, national societies and um, the dermatology and uh, psychiatry in particular. National societies are very active on looking at climate change and implications for their patients. So somewhat inspired by that, I looked, I did a literature search looking for climate change, health outcomes related to rheumatic disease, and I just found nothing. So I looked at, at um, you know, lupus patients and climate change, rheumatoid arthritis and climate change, um, and there's really no literature on it. And um, so in answering this question, there, there, I don't have any direct evidence uh, because there's no literature regarding climate change that we, as we just discussed, the impacts on patients. Um, but, but in the paper, I, I, you know, I looked into, well, what are the possibilities? And, and looking back on those three major categories of events, with extreme storms, um, clearly rheumatology patients are like anyone else. So they're susceptible to injuries and flooding and displacement. Patients on immunosuppressive medications and that are a bit more fragile, of course, would be quite susceptible to problems from lack of access to medical care or for refrigeration or pharmacies, you know, if they lose their medicines during major storms. Clearly with heat waves, there's good evidence in the general population that people with cardiac disease and respiratory disease have an increased risk of mortality. And it's for rheumatologists, it's, you know, we have a lot of patients with cardiac disease, lupus and rheumatoid have premature coronary artery disease. Lung disease, the comorbidity of lung disease is common in scleroderma and rheumatoid. And of course, renal disease and lupus and uh, vasculitity. So I think it would be reasonable to conclude that our patients with the comorbidities that have significant lung, uh, renal, cardiac disease uh, would probably have increased admissions and deaths related to excess heat, the same as members of the general population. The problem is if you look at these studies done in the general population, the, the percentage of patients that have lupus and rheumatoid arthritis are going to be so small in the general population, they're just not going to stand out because some of them will break down their the deaths by general disease categories, but of course it doesn't get down to the to the detail to pick up our patients. So I think that our our patients with rheumatic disease would be susceptible to heat waves that have these comorbid conditions, but you know, studies need to be done. And finally, with wildfires in rheumatic diseases, obviously we have lung disease in our population that would be affected. But here's where it gets a little more interesting when you look at the literature, because there is there are at least three papers I could find that looked at the specific effect of PM 2.5 elevation or the particulate matter pollution elevation uh, for our patients. Now, this was with ambient air pollution. So this is not with wildfire episodes. This is just people living in an area and they, they looked at the 2.5 levels that fluctuate with weather. And there were, Dr. Petrie in, in Baltimore, they looked at lupus patients and they correlated increases in the PM 2.5 to, to flares of arthritis and, and skin disease in lupus patients. Another researcher found that lupus patients exposed to elevated levels of ambient, elevated levels of PM 2.5, 
had increased markers for renal disease, the double-stranded DNA in the, in the urinary casts. And then in Italy, a researcher looked at um, rheumatoid arthritis and psoriatic arthritis and found that during periods where the PM 2.5 was elevated, that um, they had to change their remittive drugs more often. So that it, a secondary, you know, probably due to disease flares. So, so looking at wildfires and wildfire smoke, there's actually some, some harder evidence amongst rheumatic disease patients that they would uh, suffer from elevated levels of PM 2.5 particular matter. And, you know, the, the next step, which would be nice to see, is studies then looking at those patient populations during exposure to wildfire smoke in particular, as opposed to just ambient increases in 2.5 levels with air pollution. Thank you for that. So what I'm hearing is that the evidence in rheumatology is scant. What kinds of research questions should we be asking in this area? For example, what kinds of mechanistic studies do you think need to be conducted to explore the, um, say, epidemiological, basic science or clinical science mechanisms that may explain how climate hazards may be related to the development of or worsening of um, rheumatic diseases? Well, I think, you know, some of this is just replicating the types of studies that have already been done on the general population, but using a filter of just looking at patients with rheumatic disease. So for the you know patients exposed to hurricanes and, and major flooding is surveying patients with rheumatic disease that live in those areas and, and find out what happened to them and looking for hospitalizations and, and so forth and death rates specific to those populations. With the heat waves, really sort of the same thing is, is, is looking at at a large cohort of patients with rheumatoid arthritis or lupus or so forth and how they did during heat waves and seeing if it correlate, if poor outcomes correlate with maybe the comorbidities of them having lung disease or associated renal disease and so forth. Um, for wildfires, you know, there, there's already some evidence, as I mentioned a moment ago, that with lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, you can expect clinical flare-ups that can be measured uh, on exposure to PM 2.5 levels. So the question there would be setting up studies that would be prepared to make observations, you know, during the periods of one week, two weeks, uh, when there's major wildfires. Um, unfortunately for all of us, we know those are coming. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, it's not like the events happened in 2018 and they'll never happen again. I mean, it's, we're going to have a lot of, we're in the West Coast, we're going to have a lot of wildfires. So it's potential to set up, although I realize I, I haven't done a lot of, of clinical research along these lines, but I, I know it's very difficult to study lupus activity. And, you know, so setting up studies to measure lupus activity during these brief periods of spikes of, of air pollution related to wildfire smokes, would, I'm sure would be challenging, but I, I suspect it can be done. So shifting gears a bit, I think many people think about climate change and its impacts in a very vague and impersonal way. Um, for many, I imagine it doesn't seem like an acute problem, or at least um, not one that is at the top of um, many people's acute health concerns. Um, so what do you think we need to do to change people's thinking with regard to the personal risk posed by climate change? And do you think we need to do this even more for patients with um, rheumatic diseases versus the general population? Well, I, I would agree, you know, the, obviously the public is hearing a lot about climate change. You know, every everybody's hearing about the the big storms and the, the wildfire smoke and the massive heat waves and so forth. And I, there are studies out there showing that public opinion is gradually shifting over the last 10, 15 years of people being more aware of these and 
and being more likely to say that they're personally impacted or their families are impacted. You know, I think as healthcare professionals, you know, we are in a good position to um, discuss this with patients, uh, particularly our patients that are at higher risk. So our elderly patients and those with the comorbidities, lung disease, renal disease. I think with rheumatology patients, yes, it would be nice to discuss it with them, although we, we probably would have to do some in somewhat general terms because we just don't have the specific studies to say that we have proven that lupus patients are going to be at high risk during these heat waves coming up this summer. So I think you could say to patients, you know, you're at you're probably at risk because of your disease and your lung uh, condition that you have, but, um, you know, we're still waiting on the on the science for that. And on the other extreme, what can we do to limit the psychological impact of climate change? Well, that's, yeah, that's a big challenge. <laughs> and, I, and I must say, you know, in, in like in, in re- doing the research for this paper and being involved in environmental health committees, it's, it's not easy. It's hard to be optimistic and keep up your optimism in, in, in the light of, of, you know, where we're headed as a society and that, you know, climate change is worsening and will worsen until we take a lot more action as a society to, to correct it. In the psychiatry literature, they, they call this eco-anxiety. And they do have uh, a number of, of papers which make recommendations. And I, I can, there's one paper by Usher where they make four general recommendations. And I think I've found them personally to be useful. You read a few papers and get rather <laughs> depressed <laughs> on the topic. But believe in your resilience, you know, so believe that we can be tough and we can get through this. Um, four points. The second being cultivate coping mechanisms or solution. And that. Part of that is what we're doing right now is having discussions <laughs> and trying to um, to uh, make an impact on changing what we do with our activities. Finding faith and mindfulness, a third point, and a fourth point, support uh, social networks. And that's personally for me, it's you know being involved in these health in these uh, health committees with other people that are working on the on the same issue. But it's it's difficult because um, we have a long ways to go. And society is in is complex these days in how they deal with such issues. So we just have to re- remain hopeful, keep working. And I think it's what I would tell my patients as well. Okay, good points, good points. So let's now discuss um, patient and clinician education around climate hazards. What role do you think uh, rheumatologists and clinicians really play in this regard? Um, should they be doing more? Do we need better communication and collaboration between climate scientists and researchers and, say, doctors and clinicians in this regard? As physicians or as healthcare professionals, we do have a special role that we may not realize. Um, there have been a couple major surveys done just asking the general public, who do you most trust? Who, who, who would you, whose opinion do you value the most regarding climate change and how this is going to impact you? And those studies show that top of the list are, are nursing and physicians and primary care doctors above the CDC and your local health officials and, you know, your television station and a variety of other things. So, so actually, as healthcare professionals, we, we really have the trust of the public. We also have a, a skill of interpreting science for our patients, which we do on an everyday basis in recommending treatments and that they, you know, aren't aware of. But we also then can interpret the climate science to them. And, and we're expected to make healthcare recommendations. So particularly with our patients at higher risk, we do play a large role in educating them on climate change and making specific recommendations to help keep them safe. 
as far as the interaction between scientists in general, the climate scientists and the healthcare providers, what I'd really like to see is is a, a large degree of activity from our, our medical associations. So I think that's a good way to funnel in the the education. You know, large medical professional organizations are, are sort of well positioned and some of them do a much better job than others at educating physicians at conferences and um, and throughout activities of the organization. And I think that sort of would be the interface between the, the climate scientists and the health professionals. Finally, it is important to consider the influence of social determinants of health. So recent studies have shown that marginalized populations are simultaneously at higher risk of exposure to climate hazards and are potentially less resilient to the effects of these exposures due to systematic oppression. What are your thoughts on how social determinants of health should be considered and incorporated into research questions and risk mitigation strategies focused on climate hazards? Well, I think that, I mean, clearly there's a lot of studies showing that disadvantaged groups, disadvantaged countries are at more risk of uh, the adverse effects of climate change. Um, I think for some populations that's due to, you know, they have substandard housing. So during a heat wave or or uh, a lot of wildfire smoke or a storm, they might have more uh, exposure, more damage. Also, often disadvantaged populations live closer to industrial sites that are already polluted, and this can just exacerbate that. And then a lot of the outdoor occupations are, are lower income people, farm workers and so forth that are exposed, particularly to the heat during the heat waves. And I think they have a they have less ability to adapt to this, uh, be it moving to another area to live, uh, adding air conditioning, adding uh, air filters during um, the high smoke hazard days. And looking at this with rheumatic diseases, it's they're getting sort of a double hit, if you will. It's clear with lupus, there have been studies for many years looking at uh, the outcome of lupus with socioeconomic status. And, and the lower the socioeconomic status, the, the worse the outcome of lupus patients. So if you have them have a lupus patient that is lower socioeconomic status and, and living in an area that's prone to more damage, they make it a double hit from that, which is an area that should be studied. Along those lines, as far as uh, uh, racial inequities, obviously lupus is much higher incidence in, in, in black patients and higher severity. And, and so they might even get a triple hit if they have a, both a racial issue, a social economic issue in, in, a, in a living situation, which puts them at greater risk for the uh, adverse effects of climate change. So I think this should be looked at because also we might need to focus our resources towards some of these populations to help adapt to climate change over time. Excellent points. So um, in conclusion, climate change is a result of human activity and these changes have negative impacts in the general population. We need more research to understand how these health consequences are unique for patients with rheumatic diseases. This knowledge can then be used to develop effective interventions to mitigate um, the detrimental impacts in this subpopulation. Thank you to Dr. Bush, and thank you for listening to this episode of Clinical Realities. Remember, you can subscribe to Clinical Realities, The Lancet Rheumatology, wherever you usually get your podcasts.